0: Alright, welcome to RUF. I want to uh, just begin getting you to think about what goes on with you when this uh, great scenario happens, right? When you open up Instagram or Twitter and you receive that just kind of great and little bit scary notification that somebody has actually mentioned you, right? It's okay. It's okay to admit how much you like that and how excited you get because someone knows you, right? Someone has mentioned you. But then there becomes, I don't know, if you're like me, there becomes this little feeling of anxiety because you don't really know what's just been posted to the World Wide Web about you. And so keep going with the scenario. Imagine that as you check it, to your horror, your friend, who's actually probably about to become your ex-friend, has posted the most awful, embarrassing picture of you that you could imagine. Okay, now I want you to think about what would go on within you at that moment. That, that kind of horror that you feel. If you peel back, I think, about what's upsetting you, there's probably a lot of things. But at least it's this. That there's an image of you that has just gone out. That you don't like. And that you're uncomfortable with. And so there are people out there that are now relating, with you, for, relating to you. Forming opinions about who you are. They don't even really know you. Based on a picture that's really distorted, and that doesn't give the full picture of who you are, and you just want to fix that, you you want to say, wait, 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 that's not who I am, that's a distorted picture. And if you can relate to the tension of that scenario at all, I want to suggest that that is is a large part of what Commandment 2 of the Ten Commandments is about, because if the Ten Commandments are the picture of a beautiful life, of a free life, like we're saying every week, Commandment 2 is saying that the beautiful life takes expression because you have a relationship with God as He truly is, not as you fashioned Him to be or distorted Him to be. Commandment 2 says this You and I don't get to decide who God is and what He's like, He just is. God is going to define Himself. He has revealed Himself, and we receive and relate to and worship Him as He is. Not as we wish He was, or not as, not as we project Him to be. So let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we just mentioned that we can know You because You've revealed Yourself. And You've revealed Yourself in Your Word. And so, Lord, we come tonight, uh, some of us anxious, uh, some of us tired, some of us bitter... Uh, Some of us uh, feeling very near uh, you. And, Lord, what uh, we desire is for uh, you to show up, for you to help us to see Jesus, for you to believe and see, again, that your grace abounds more than our sin, uh, that you love struggling, messed up sinners uh, like us. So I pray, Lord, that the truth of Jesus would be upheld and seen in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hear God's word from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. "...visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those, that, of, of those who hate me... ...but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." The psalmist says the word of God is, is sweeter than honeycomb. All right, let's, uh, let's look at four things about the second commandment. The meaning of it, the reason, the breaking of it, and then the beauty and fulfillment of it. First, what is the meaning of this commandment? I don't know if you felt this when you first re- uh, read this... But at first glance, if you were with us last week, it simply seems to reiterate the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods, right? No idolatry. But the second commandment actually has a distinction. There is an overlap between those two commandments. There's an important distinction. The first commandment, it is concerned with who you worship. Worship the real God. The second commandment is mostly concerned with how we are to worship the real God. And so the second commandment is telling us to properly worship Him without diminishing who He is. And there is something, I think, that at least helped me understand what's going on here, that happens back in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings 12, I think this kind of clarifies our understanding of the second commandment. The nation of Israel is sadly beginning to divide and Jeroboam, who is the king of the northern kingdom, realizes that there's going to be a problem. Because if his, if his people are in the northern kingdom and we're going to worship the Lord, they're going to have to travel to the southern kingdom, to the temple, to worship. So Jeroboam comes up with a solution. He doesn't create a new God. This is what I need you to hear. Instead, he fashions two golden calves, sets them up in these northern cities, and says, here, worship God The God who brought you out of Egypt through these gods. He doesn't say these are brand new gods. He says worship God by way of these calves. So they weren't so much worshipping the golden calves. They were worshipping God through them. And so destructive was that it ends up solidifying the split of the nation of Israel. That's what the second commandment is guarding against. It is saying we are forbidden from worshiping the living and true and real God by graven images. And a graven image is is just simply anything fashioned by us. And so commandment two says this. We are forbidden to make the invisible God visible. That's what it's forbidding us to do. So here's the question. Why? Like that kind of seems nitpicky by God. While, I mean, maybe those Israelites had good motives. At least they were trying to worship the real God. What's the problem? And here's the problem and the reason for the command. Any image that we construct, whether physically or, hear me, and our, mentally, any image fashioned by humans will inevitably distort the reality of who God is. It has to. Let's take the golden calf, for instance. Maybe a a golden calf somehow faintly communicates the beauty and majesty of God. Maybe. But it, it communicates nothing about God's compassion and His forgiveness and His mercy. And therefore, it is a false representation of who God is. It hides more than it reveals. Does that kind of make sense? And so God is saying, any image that you're going to come up with, any image that our finite and sinful mind produces, it is inevitably going to reduce God. It's going to distort Him into something that He is not. Look, God loves the imagination. It's a beautiful gift from Him. God loves creativity. But when it comes to who He is, we just can't use our creativity. It'll mess Him up. It'll distort the reality of who he is. The Lord is known by revelation, not by creativity. And He just loves us too much to leave us to our own devices. I think some of you—I think some of you know this. Um, ladies, you, many of you sadly have felt this reality: that when when you are reduced simply to body parts. And that's the way that that a male begins to view you and relate to you. It's belittling, isn't it? It's offensive. And it should be. Because it's not the only definition of who you are. And in the end, you realize if someone views you like that, there will be no relationship. Right? And by the way, that is one of the reasons I would suggest that... And this is for both guys and girls. This is why viewing pornography is so destructive. Because it is relating to people made in the image of God. Viewing pornography means you relate to people with inherent integrity and beauty. And you belittle them, you distort them, and reduce them simply to body parts to be used for pleasure. And that's just shaping you. And it's just destructive. And the Lord with this commandment refuses to let us use him. And belittle him. And distort him. Not because he's some tyrant. But because he actually wants a real relationship with you. And therefore he is saying we must know him and receive him and worship him as he is. And he wants you to believe and know what he really thinks of you. Not your distorted perception of him. He wants you to know how much he really loves you. And how much he really delights in you. And so he will not let you distort that. He's reality itself. He is beauty. He is holiness. He is goodness. He is truth. And so he will not let us fashion him into anything else. So the question of the second commandment is this. Are you going to shape God by your thoughts and imaginations into something comfortable? Into something that fits into your life? Will you fashion him according to your ideas and opinions, or will you let God as he is shape your thoughts and imaginations? Which is it? That's the question. And so we've seen its meaning. Don't make the invisible God visible. Its reason is because we will distort him. We will distort his beauty, and therefore destroy ourselves and a relationship with him. So thirdly, what does actually breaking this commandment look like? I think admittedly at first, like this is actually one of those commandments that you read and you actually feel okay about it. Right? You, can, you can walk through my house and we have no statues. We have no man-made sculptures that my family, you know, worships God through or anything like that. But like all commandments, right, their first job is to convince us that we're, we're a whole lot more messed up than we think. And so these, these commandments are not just concerned with behaviors, they're really concerned with our thought with our thoughts, with our heart. And the commandment exposes us. Because the commandment says this: we break it whenever we fashion by our imagination, by our thoughts, whenever we fashion him into a God that he is not. Whenever we begin to worship, relate to, and live before a distorted God. We've broken it. Because at that point, we're actually not relating to God. We're relating to a false picture of Him. And so I would ask you to consider how much dysfunction in our life actually arises from relating and worshiping a false image of God that we have made. Have you considered that perhaps the reason that there is little conviction of sin in your life is because, because you've fashioned a God into the likeness of you. That he's only mad at the things that you don't do. And your picture of God, or maybe maybe he's one that kind of resembles a grandfather, you know, that kind of winks at you and says, boys will be boys in college, but we won't tell mom about that, right? And see, if you live before a face of, of, God, of a God who is void of holiness and void of his love of righteousness and beauty, then what you'll find is there's no sorrow in your life and there's no repentance. And at that point, you fashion fashioned a God that's false. one that, A God that does not care how you live as long as you ask Jesus into your heart is no God. It's a God of your own making. Could your emotional, physical, and spiritual exhaustion actually be rooted in the distortion of God? That you've fashioned a God who is void of grace. That He is this taskmaster always measuring you, seeing if you've done enough for Him lately. Always asking you to do more and more to keep Him liking you. And the God who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, never enters the picture The God that you're living before is not the real God. you fashioned him. If he's constantly evaluating and constantly changing his opinion of you based on how you're living, that's not this God. It's a God void of grace and forgiveness. And frankly, the God that you're living before looks and feels a whole lot more like the devil than it does Jesus. Because you're convinced that God is out to get you and to punish you, to teach you a lesson... And to take life from you—that's what the devil does. If you just don't get it together, that's not this God. He's a God of tremendous grace. Could your bitterness and your anger towards yourself, or towards other people, or towards God—could it not be because you fashioned God into your own image? And so whether it's, whether it's the ordinary difficulties of life and pains of just kind of living in this broken world, or whether it's really awful things, and hear me say it's awful, things like abuse that have happened to you, could it be that some of the bitterness is coming because you're living before the face of a God who is void of really caring and sharing in the suffering of what's been done to you? you have a picture of a God who is sending these things into your life with His arms crossed and He's just kind of distant and uncaring. And could the root of our cynicism be because you live before a face of a distorted God? That you've looked at your sin and you've looked at your life with despair and you've just concluded, I think I care more about Jesus and I care more about defeating sin than He does. And you've just given into cynicism. Because it seems so hopeless. That's a God void of power and care. That's not the real God who is making all things new. And I would just make this offer. Perhaps some of you tonight, this would be great. Maybe you should reconsider whether you've actually rejected the real God. You might have. But in some of my conversations with... Um, and I love that you come. But you who are skeptical about Christianity. In our conversations, I've actually realized some of you haven't rejected the real God. You've rejected a God that you have fashioned in your own image. And I just invite you to, to look and to see if maybe you've missed it. And so, what, you know, where do all these distorted images come from? I, I don't know. There's, there's probably a lot of places. Mainly from our sinful hearts. The the essence of sin is that I want to hide from God. And so our hearts naturally distort God to make Him comfortable. I want to make Him fit in my life. But also, I mean, poor teaching will shape us. Uh, Bad relationships with people that you should have been able to trust. We start implanting our experiences on God. There's a myriad of reasons for our fashioning God into a graved image. But the point is this. We break this commandment all the time. So we've seen the meaning. I, think we've seen, I hope we've seen the reason. And just again, I, I think we've seen, man, we're like, we are more helpless than we thought to keep this commandment. So where's the hope? Like, where's, where's the hope? And here's the fulfillment and the beauty of this. Let's ask again. Why is the Lord so insistent on this command? Why does He actually connect His jealousy with this command? Why is he jealously guarding his reality by saying, don't try to create an image. It'll be wrong. Well, what if that's because there's also a promise in that? What if the reason the Lord was so jealously guarding his image because he was preparing to give us something beyond our wildest imaginations? Something that we couldn't even conceive of. Something that the angels in heaven couldn't even come up with. What if God is guarding the image of the invisible God? An image, God not an image of God not fashioned by man, but God Himself who takes on flesh. All right, Colossians 1:15, what Annie reads, it, it calls Jesus the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. See, what this is saying is left to ourselves, we will distort God. We just will. We'll make a mess of it. We'll relate to a false image of God. If we'll take God as He is, you'll find Jesus. And the fulfillment of this commandment, it is Jesus Himself. The birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago, it is astounding. What it is saying is that Jesus loves you, God loves you so much that He becomes like you. And Jesus' birth means that He is, he is not a graven image. He's the perfect image. It's God Himself come to us. And when you look at Jesus, you see God every time. Jesus says, when you see me, you see my Father. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to worship God as He is, if you want to relate to the real God, look at Jesus. The way to fulfill this commandment is to be be shaped into the beautiful life of knowing God. And worshiping and living under the love and grace and freedom of the real God is to know Jesus. And I want you to feel that. Because what I want you to feel is that you simply cannot decide tomorrow to change the way that you view God. I want you to feel that. like It is way too in us. We bring our perceptions of God to the table. I can't just change it. We're not a blank slate. We have distorted pictures of who He is. You cannot simply change your view. Something or someone has to reshape your view. That's what has to happen. And I know this is going to sound self-serving, but okay. This is why I beg you to keep coming back to RUF. It's not about numbers. It's about trying to hold up Jesus every week as He is revealed. And filling your mind with the wonders of who He is. We mess up all the time. But that's our hope. Is that every week you'll come in here and realize that's who God is. And He's unbelievable. He's better than you think. We've got to take God as He has revealed Himself, which is in His Word. The Scriptures. God's revelation is where your thoughts, your imagination gets fashioned by Him instead of the other way around. And all the scripture is about Jesus. I don't care if it sounds self-serving. I'm begging you to come every week. We want you to see God, Jesus, revealed, held out. And I want to end by asking you this. Do you see the beauty of the commandment? This commandment really is saying that the Lord of this universe desires a relationship with you. A real, living, intimate, personal relationship. With you. And because of that, he graciously forbids us any image, any distorted image of who he is. Because if we construct any image of God, it'll distort him so that we don't have a real relationship with him. And that's always going to end in destruction. And God wants to convince, convince you that the real him loves the real you. That's what he's about. He wants a relationship with the real you. So think about the beauty of this. If any image that I'm going to conjure up actually distorts and belittles and takes away from God, that by definition means that who God is is infinitely better, infinitely more beautiful. Infinitely more loving and more holy and more gracious and more just and more kind than we could ever imagine. The second commandment is calling us to realize and recognize our absolute dependence on His revelation. And what you'll find is that He is better than anything you could conjure up. Anything. I heard a story from my friend about an adoption of a child who had kind of grown up in the foster system. And so this boy, you know, for, I think he was 10 or 11, for, you know, basically eight years of his life, had basically lived the life of, of kind of being with a, with a family temporarily and then being sent back to the foster home and, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, this couple adopts him. He moves from being fostered to actually being adopted. And it started out okay, and then the relationship kind of started to sour. And the boy got destructive, got angry, even violent sometimes. And just after another one of those exhausting days, the parents were just, they were just spent, spent, they could not figure out what was going on. And their boy was upstairs, kind of lashing out. And so the dad walks up there, and finally kind of starts calming him down. And the boy is under the bed, crying. And he says, what are you so scared of? And the kid says, when are you going to send me back? And the dad crawls underneath the bed, hugs the boy that's trembling in tears and said, we're never sending you back. You're you're our son. This is forever. We're your parents. And the lifelong process of healing began that night. Because what happened was this. The boy was functioning with a distorted image of who these people were. He thought they were temporary. So he was just putting up with them, refusing to get close to them. But when the boy heard his parents, when when he received the reality of who they were, it was better than his wildest imagination. They were more loving, more real, more stable than he had ever dreamed of. This is what this commandment means. Commandment two is saying, receive Jesus. Receiving, even with trembling fear. Even if you have fainting hope tonight, come to him. And you will find he is simply better than you could ever imagine. Come to his word. Come to Jesus. And you, I don't care if you're scared that he's going to shame you. I don't, think, I don't care if you're convinced you're not good enough. And you're convinced that because you've done these things, he's going to push you back you will find He is better than you you can imagine. His wisdom is higher than you thought. His justice is better. His holiness is more searing. His love for you is far better and more deeper than the most intimate relationship you've ever experienced. Because He goes to a cross for you. And His power is far greater than any force that you've ever encountered. And His grace, it really does abound more than your greatest conception of sin and unworthiness that you can conjure up. Where sin abounds, His grace abounds all the more. And His smile and His delight in you. I know it seems too good to be true. But it's real. Receiving tonight, I'm telling you, that begins the life of the beauty. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, would you, um, man, would you meet us uh, tonight for the first time? Or would you help us to do what we need to do every day? To see you as you are, to quit trying to make you like us, and see that you're more forgiving and more holy and more loving than we ever thought so I pray that you would encourage us with that tonight. I pray that you give people the faith to see that. And people would receive the joy of Jesus and capture a vision of the beautiful life. In Jesus' name, amen.